Thank you, Kelly. Uh, this is John Sweet. I'm a staff attorney at uh, Pennsylvania Utility Law Project. Uh, I'll be starting today's webinar. Uh, just a brief overview. I'm going to start with a, uh, a brief update on some issues uh, surrounding COVID-19 and utility and housing. Um, after that, Josie's going to present on the uh, tools for preventing termination and restoring service. And then Kadeem will discuss uh, tenant protections. And as an introductory note, we just want to note why we're doing a uh, utility and housing webinar. Um, these two issues are uniquely intertwined. Um, Low-income households frequently face uh, trade-offs between rent, food, and utilities, uh, which leads them into to various situations uh, arising in the in rent and utility issues. Um, uh, also, loss of service uh, can lead to eviction, and landlords often use utilities as a, a method to perform a constructive eviction. Um, so we'll touch on some of those issues as we move forward. Uh, as I noted, I'm a staff attorney at Pulp. Um, we are available for support and consultation for legal aid attorneys all over the state. Uh, we, if you run into utility issues, or you're, you're having trouble understanding how to move forward, we, we recommend that you reach out either directly to me or to the, the main Pulp uh, contact information, which we'll provide at the end of the webinar. Um, the, the individual utility cases are a fairly simple process and we can guide you through them um, uh, moving forward. So a brief update on evictions and foreclosures. Uh, May 7th, the governor issued an executive order extending the moratorium on evictions and more foreclosures until July 10th. Additionally, the CARES Act um, has prevented evictions from federally subsidized landlords uh, until July 25th, 2020. One note to watch out is probably after the July 10th date, um, you may want to watch out for Section 8 landlords making up excuses to evict people um, so that they can get around it. The CARES Act only prevents um, uh, evictions for non-payment. So watch out for them making up um, stories about breaches of lease terms and, and various other things like that. Um, <clears throat> as far as uh, at the PUC, the Utility Commission has is, uh, issued a proclamation, a um, moratorium on terminations for the pendency of the governor's proclamation of disaster. That is still in place, but is currently set to expire on June 6th. Um, they are considering a possible extension, but as of today, the date of the expiration of the moratorium remains June 6th. Um, at this point, utilities have been encouraged to reconnect those that have already been terminated, but that does not mean that everyone's still connected. Um, unregulated utilities, such as municipal authorities and electric cooperatives, are not required, they're not subject to the PUC's jurisdiction, not subject to the moratorium on terminations, and no utilities, uh, whether regulated or unregulated, are required to turn the household back on, though they have been encouraged to do so. Um, currently, the, the, the Public Utility Commission's Bureau of Consumer Services is still accepting complaints. Um, they're accepting cases from customers who have been terminated and 
who um, whose utilities are, are refusing to restore service. Um, BCS is also taking in safety related and emergency situation uh, circumstances. They are not taking unregulated utility off cases such as municipal water authorities. They are referring those cases to 211, the Attorney General's office, um, the Office of Consumer Advocate for, um, for Small Businesses, the Office of uh, OSBA. Uh, BCS is investigating, mediating, and issuing decisions on the cases. The decisions are being served electronically via email with some verbal decisions. Um, they do plan to, to start up the written um, hard copy determinations once the U.S. Mail Service becomes available to the Public Utility Commission staff again. Uh, and again, we encourage you to let us know right away if you're working with a client whose service is off and you can't get through to the PUC to file an informal complaint or generally any, um, any client at this point who is currently off and unable to get reconnected. Um, if you need some advice, you can reach out to us directly for a consultation. Uh, as far as municipal water authorities, the Municipal Authorities Association has issued some non-binding guidance to their members, um, such as placing a moratorium on shutoffs, restoring service for those off, um, suspending and waiving late fees, and instituting payment assistance programs. This guidance is non-binding. Uh, they do have a lot of influence from the municipal authorities that I have spoken to directly um, and other, other people at Pulp have spoken to directly. Um, most of the municipal authorities that we're aware of are following um, at least the moratorium on shut-off guidelines. Uh, Philadelphia Water Department has also uh, instituted some COVID-related protections. They've agreed not to shut off for non-payment until June 1st. Um, they've uh, made, they've already made a first attempt to restore all their off customers, although some could not be restored due to defective plumbing. Uh, customers, any customers who are still off should reach out to them immediately. Suspension of late payment, they've all also agreed to suspend late payment fees and collection uh, activity, and they have adjusted their TAP eligibility um, to include customers under 150% of federal poverty level or those up to 250% of federal, po federal poverty level if they have a special hardship. Uh, and some notes on LIHEAP. Um, there were some complications this year due to COVID with the LIHEAP season closing um, before anyone could really submit crisis grants. Um, the LIHEAP closed the COVID moratorium uh, was instituted before the end of the winter moratorium. So the termination notices that are typically required for crisis grants um, never happened. So crisis, most crisis grants, most customers who would have otherwise been eligible for crisis grants uh, could not get them up to this point. However, there is a special LIHEAP recovery program in the works. Um, and I do have, since this slide, I do have another update. And that is that the money for the LIHEAP recovery program has come through. Uh, it's going 
it looks like it's going to be a supplemental crisis program where the um, they will accept past due bills as evidence of a crisis. So a termination notice will hopefully not be required. Uh, and it's looking like it should be up to $800 in crisis funds available um, to customers um, who have not otherwise obtained crisis funds. And um, <clears throat> it may start as early as this Monday. However, the details, again, have not really been worked out. Uh, we have a tentative date, that, so we, we expect them to be worked out by the end of next week. Um, and we plan to offer a webinar program. Uh, we may do multiple, um, but as of today, there's a tentative date for the LIHEAP recovery webinar of Friday, next Friday, May 22nd. Um, but uh, when we have a finalized details, Kelly will let you know. Uh, and for advice to clients who have lost their job or had a change in income due to COVID, um, if the client's not enrolled in CAP, we encourage you to contact, tell them to apply right away. Um, typically calculated on the previous calendar month. Um, if the client is out of work, they'll be asked to submit a zero income form. Um, if the client is currently enrolled in CAP and, and suffered a loss of income due to COVID, they should contact the utility immediately and request an adjustment to their cap rate based on their change in income. Uh, and if they have a pending informal complaint, they should call to check the status as, B as uh, BCS is pretty backed up um, and it, it always pays to follow up. And with that, I will hold, uh, hand it off to Josie to discuss tools for avoiding termination and restoring service. Thank you, John. Hey everyone, this is Josie Pickens. I'm one of the supervising attorneys at Community Legal Services in Philadelphia and one of the co-directors of our energy units. Um, I just wanna take a second to, to wish everyone on the webinar well. I know this is um, just a stressful season and my thoughts are with you and I hope you have everything you need uh, to be well. So I want to get into the tools um, for avoiding sh shutoffs and restoring service. For um, advocates who represent tenants, um, it's important to remember that the tenant may be the utility rate payer and the customer and may have consumer protections available to help them pro to, um, to prevent a shutoff and that a resolution of a utility problem in a housing matter could include getting the tenant to become the customer so that they can access these options. The slide here is my main takeaway for this piece of the presentation. I'm not going to be able to get into very deep detail about each option but I would like you to do, you know, maybe take this slide and put it in a folder so that when you have a client with a utility problem, you remember um, this set of options, these legal options and consumer protections, and that you also remember there's an interplay 
there's a strategy involved in making sure that customers aren't exhausting options um, that they may need to use at a later date or that they may not need to use right away. So we're gonna touch on a, a number of these things. Um, the presentation was structured such that um, you would have at the top of your mind that there's a moratorium in place, that we're in the middle of a pandemic, and that there's options available to customers that ordinarily wouldn't be. Then we wanted you to think about what's on the horizon so when the companies are able to shut folks off. What are the options you can help your clients to start to think about? Uh, John mentioned the new LAHI program, and there's going to be an additional discussion of that coming soon. So, John, let's get into it. So, there are termination rules in Pennsylvania. Customers can't be shut off for any old reason, um, and they cannot be shut off if there's a dispute. They cannot be shut off for the amount that is in dispute. However, customers can be shut off for non-payment of undisputed debt and for failure to comply with certain terms of the utility. Before a company is able to shut anyone off, they have to issue a notice. So this is important to keep in mind um, as we think about what happens after COVID. Our clients are still, the utilities are still required to provide notice of a shutoff. So when the state protections um, that, are, that are guaranteeing service end, those customers aren't going to be automatically shut off. The utilities have to issue a notice at least 10 days before shutoff. Those notices are good for 60 days and the utilities have to attempt personal contact prior to termination. Payment arrangements are a tool that customers at every income level can um, seek to access to deal with a delinquent utility bill. The, um, the takeaway for non-energy practitioners is to remember there are two types of payment arrangements. There are payment arrangements that are issued by the state's commission, and those arrangements, there are terms, there are conditions on, who, on how many you can receive. And there are also utility-issued arrangements. The utility has the discretion to offer as many arrangements as they want, and so, it's often possible to negotiate a resolution with the company to get an arrangement that would not otherwise be available. The company has the discretion. But PUC-issued arrangements for customers under 150% of poverty who still have service on can only put the maximum terms for up to five years. And for customers who are off and seeking to be restored at the same address, the, the customer must pay a reconnection fee and the arrangement is up to two years, 24 months. 
there are some exceptions to the payment arrangement rules. And we want everyone to keep in mind that um, customers who are under the protection of a protection from abuse order or a comparable order, um, court order that evidences domestic violence may have additional options to get, an, to get another payment arrangement from the utility. And some of the factors that will be included in that analysis are the size of the debt, whether the applicant can pay, the history, and the length of time over which the bill accumulated. Another important payment arrangement rule is that the commission is not able to provide a payment arrangement on cap arrears. So if a customer was enrolled in the low-income customer assistance program, the arrears that they accumulated in that program cannot be the subject of a commission arrangement. However, most companies will let the customer catch up on those arrears to cure the default and be reinstated into the arrangement. CAP or the CAP program is something you may have heard of. Um, it's the, the utilities low income customer assistance programs. These are available to customers of all regulated Pennsylvania gas and electric companies. And some of the regulated water companies offer assistance programs as well. Um, John mentioned the Philadelphia Water Department's TAP program, which is a, a, a really robust uh, first in the nation income based program. But those programs do not exist across the state. The benefits of CAP are that you get a reduced monthly rate that you get for uh, your arrearage is suspended if you enter the program with arrearage on your account. And you're eligible for forgiveness of the arrears over a period of time from 12 to 36 months, depending on the company. You do have to be income eligible for CAP, so at or below 150% of poverty. Some utilities require that the customer be payment troubled and that they periodically verify income. Um, one practice note is that although the companies may ask for the social security of the applicant and household members, this information is not required on the CAP application. Grant assistance. And at the outset, I talked about the interplay of these options and just making sure you're weighing out each of the um, consumer options before exhausting others. And a lot of people are aware of grant assistance and often jump to this option. But I, I want to encourage you to evaluate the availability of other types of assistance for your clients, such as enrollment and CAP. But there are grants available 
through the company's hardship fund programs. They're typically up to $500. Customers have to, to be income eligible. Some utilities require that the customer made recent payment attempts and have a temporary hardship. And some utilities prohibit cap customers from receiving this assistance. The CARES program is a little utilized uh, universal service program that's available at the regulated utilities. You can think of this as a, um, a sort of, I don't want to be too generous and say a supportive social worker because they're not that helpful. But they are um, individuals and, and customer service representatives at the utilities who are authorized to um, help customers who are having trouble paying their bills and having short term problems that are causing them to be unable to pay. And they are empowered to refer customers to social service agencies to help customers with budget counseling and in some circumstances to make special arrangements for bill payment. So if you have a customer who, um, who, who have a client who has a, um, a, a lot of hardships and may have had a lot of difficulty paying the bill, but as sympathetic circumstances, it's worth trying to get the CARES representative on the line to, to try to work out a resolution for the customer. Uh, utilities are permitted to charge security deposits. This might be an issue that um, you're, you encounter. Those um, deposits can be up to two months of an, of an estimated bill. And um, the good thing is that the companies have to provide the customer 90 days to pay the deposit, um, which is you know 50% in the first month, 25% in the second, and then another, another 25 in the third. And the utilities are required to return the payment once timely payment is established. So in full payment of the bill for 12 consecutive months. There is even better news um, is that this security deposit can be waived if the customer is cap eligible. So the customer doesn't have to be enrolled in CAP, but they do have to be CAP eligible. So they have to provide proof of income. I also just want to flag again that there are special uh, protections for individuals who have a protection from abuse order or a comparable court order um, when it comes to security deposits and um, the availability of a waiver. Or the protections for abuse order um, customers who have a PFA or other court order with evidence of domestic violence. 
Um, it, this is a, a very important protection, and I, I know many of you have heard the news that you know the, the pandemic is creating uh, increased stress on households and, and the rising reports of domestic violence. So I anticipate that you may see these issues um, you know, in the future. And so I want you to know that if a customer, um, if an individual is a victim of domestic violence and has a court order, they cannot be terminated for non-payment of service that was provided to another person. So if those arrears accrued in someone else's name, you can help the client advocate for that bill to, to no longer be their responsibility so that they won't be billed for that customer's arrears. If the bill was in the survivor's name, then you may be able to negotiate flexible payment arrangements based on the individual facts of that individual's case. Individuals with the protection from abuse order also um, get additional utility contact before service is terminated. Um, they, they, uh, the personal contact has to be attempted immediately before the termination. And if there is no personal contact, the company has to post a notice and delay the shutoff for 48 hours. Josie, this is Kelly. If I could just interrupt for a second. For the attorneys on the webinar today, I just launched a poll that you should have a pop-up box on your screen. Please respond to the question so that we can actively show that you're participating. And this is the first of two questions during this webinar. This poll box will be up for a minute. Thank you, Josie, and you're welcome to continue. Thank you. Um, in the, as we are rounding out our toolbox, I want to mention medical certificates, but I want to mention them with a big, uh, you know, red flag that says we don't need to use medical certificates in the present moment um, for most clients uh, because the state protection for the COVID moratorium is in place. So customers should not be getting shut off for, um, for inability to pay and should not need to use a medical certificate to, to, to um, at this time. There shouldn't be a, a shut off notice uh, issued at this time. For folks who are off already and they were off maybe prior to COVID, the first attempt should be made to negotiate restoration um, based on the pandemic and the, the protections, um, the, the commission's encouragement that utilities restore service. So you may be able to just ask the utility to restore service and they may be willing to do that because we're in a pandemic and you may not be, need to use a med cert. So for example, in Philadelphia, both PICO and the water department are restoring service to individuals who were shut off prior to COVID. The, the individual does not need to pay a reconnection charge. Their debt isn't forgiven 
but the utility is not demanding that it be paid prior to restoring service. So I really want to urge everyone to remember men's certs, but keep them in your pocket for now. Um, a men's cert stops a termination for 30 days. Um, it can be renewed. And a, an individual or a customer can submit a medical certificate every 30 days if they're paying the current charges by the due date. So if the customer's keeping up with that bill as of the time of the first certificate, they can indefinitely renew the medical certificates. The med certs are available if there is any household member any member of the, the customer's household who has a medical condition. The customer um, is not required to be the person who has the medical condition. Um, and then even if the customer isn't making any payments on the account, they are able to get 90 days of protection under the MedCert law um, on every set of arrears. So if they have a balance, they can use three medicals, even if they don't make any more payments. When they have, if they haven't made any payments, they may be shut off. But if they reduce that arrears to zero, they're able to restart the medical certs and get an additional um, three medical certs. So that, that was my section. There was an, um, two other things that included on the intro slide that I just want to flag. The, the one is the dispute process. The regulated utilities have a dispute process and a customer can file an informal complaint or formal complaint with the Public Utility Commission. And when they do that, they get a stay on termination if they file an informal complaint. And that stay is in place during the pendency of the complaint. That, that's when you file an informal complaint. The customer does not have to pay the charges that are in dispute, but they are responsible for the new bills. And, and that is, um, it's important to assess the customers whether there is a dispute over the bill or the service that may be the basis for a complaint that can then be um, a way to preserve service. And then the other option is a bankruptcy. And of course, that will depend on the client's individual financial situation. But a bankruptcy is a tool that can prevent shutoff of service um, that can get restoration of service and that can prevent um, housing consequences such as eviction. So it should be in your toolbox of um, housing and utility tools that are available to resolve utility problems. So with that, I will turn it over to the esteemed Katine. Morris. Thank you, Josie. I don't know how esteemed I am. I hope everyone can hear me. Um, I want to take a few minutes to frame the conversation a little bit because we are talking about utility 
rights in the context of housing protections? And why is this actually relevant? So as many of you on the call might be aware through the various listservs and just things that are happening, there are various moratoriums that have been put in place either by the federal government through the CARES Act or the governor through his executive order that essentially affects the or limits the ability of a landlord to proceed with an eviction. In the context of the CARES Act, landlords can't file evictions until after July 25th for non-payment for their clients who are living in federally subsidized housing or who, or if the landlord themselves have a mortgage that is federally backed, either they purchase it directly from Fannie or Freddie Mae or it has somehow become federally backed. So that's kind of an important frame for the conversation. There are different restrictions, most of which are targeted towards non-payment of rent for clients that they can't necessarily be filed against during this time period. But as it pertains to the CARES Act, that is limited only to non-payment. So that's the longest time window that we have now at July 25th. So why do utility services matter in this context? In this context, it becomes particularly important because most leases have as a condition that the tenant, if they're responsible for utilities, maintain utility service. So if you can't evict a tenant for non-payment of rent, you may be able, or the landlord may try to go after a tenant for a breach of the lease, i.e. not maintaining utility service during this time period where there is kind of a mixed set of moratorium issues. So this is a way that landlords might try to backdoor clients into court or to get around the filing restrictions. I know a lot of you that are on this webinar are engaged in advocacy at both the state at the state level and in your various municipalities to kind of address these inconsistencies and make sure that our clients are also protected. I also want to point out really quickly that a lot of the protections that Josie talked about in the toolbox apply to PUC regulated utilities, both the assistance programs and some of the hardship grants and the ability to get a PUC issued payment arrangement apply to utilities that fall within the jurisdiction of the Public Utility Commission. Due to the nature of Pennsylvania in and of itself, lots of municipalities have their own utility company. Therefore, some of these things may not work directly, but it's still important to have them in your toolbox and be aware of who you are dealing with. So we can move on to the next slide, John. So Pennsylvania has two parallel statutes that protect tenants in the event of their landlord seeking to terminate service voluntarily. There's the Utility Service Tenants' Rights Act, which applies to all of the utilities that are regulated by the Public Utility Commissions. They would be your PICO, your PPLs, your First Energy, MetEds, Duquesne Lights. Those are regulated utility companies. If you live in, let's say, Bethlehem and it's Bethlehem Power and Light, or I'm not sure what's in York anymore, but the small utility companies that are from your municipality where you pay the bills directly, either to your county office or online through a specific utility portal, those are not covered by the PUC. But there is the Discontinuance of Service to Lease Premises Act, 
which the citations are all in the PowerPoint, so you will be able to access them easily. That applies to utilities that are not covered by the PUC's jurisdiction. So you've got two protections for tenants in the event that their landlord stops paying for utility service or approaches a utility company and asks the utility company to terminate service to a property that is used as a rental property. So what protections do they provide? Under Astra, Ustra, some people may pronounce it differently, a utility company that is seeking to terminate service to a lease premises by which the landlord is a, the landlord is the rate payer, so the bill is in the landlord's name, or if the, or if the landlord rate payer seeks to voluntarily relinquish service, i.e. calls into the utility and says, turn service off. That's where Astra and the discontinuance of services to lease premises act actually applies. So the landlord is the utility customer. There does not need to be a lease necessarily. The landlord, for the discontinuance of service to lease premises act, the landlord must be responsible for the utility service under the lease. So if you are, if the landlord's not responsible and you are dealing with a municipal utility, then that becomes a different conversation because the tenant's responsible for the bail and would have to directly negotiate with that utility company. And the tenant had to have taken possession of the property while service was still active. And the termination has to be for non-payment. So if there are issues of meter tampering, there is an electrical issue where your wiring needs to be repaired, or if your furnace is broken in the context of a heating system, and meter tampering, i.e. your landlord might have tried to rig around the meter or someone else has rigged around the meter to avoid that, sort of, to avoid paying the bill in that context or doing something that's not safe. Those types of cases are not covered by the USTRA or the Discontinuance of Services to Lease Premises Act. So I'm just pointing out that distinction. So what is the utility required to do in this context? So if there is an occupied property, usually utilities have the ability to check and find out whether or not a property is occupied as a rental property or occupied by more than one household. They can check this based on usage that runs through the property and they can do comparative analysis. And they also would know if the property has more than one meter or if it's submetered at a different way. They can check that information. They're required to provide at least 30 days notice to the tenant before they attempt to discontinue their service. So in this context where your landlord calls up and says, shut off service to my four-story apartment building, the tenants should be notified. They're required to be notified at least 30 days before this happens. In the context of a multifamily building, as I just described, where there are four floors, multiple apartments, the right that the tenant actually has is to pay the last 30 days balance, and that will be the balance for the entire building if there's only one meter. So they would have to come together as a collective and pay the last 30 days balance and be able to maintain service. If the landlord owes $10,000, they're not required to pay $10,000. They're required to pay whatever charges accrued in the last 30 day period 
and they can maintain service by paying the balance as it accrues on a forward going basis. So whatever new bills are issued, they must make those payments and they are able to maintain that service on a forward going basis. And that applies both to Astra and the discontinuance of service to lease premises. And of course, this has to be done within that 30 day time window of receiving that notice. Now, if you don't receive that notice or if no notice has been posted to your property, and that becomes a situation where you can advocate with the company to get service restored on the basis of paying the last 30 days usage, but you should consult with the folks at Pulp and the utility experts within your various office as to whether or not notice was provided and your likelihood of success because some municipalities are more are willing to work with you more than others maybe. So what are the additional tenant protections? In the same way a tenant might be able to repair and deduct if there is a broken faucet or improper sealants in the home, if the tenant or tenants are paying the last 30 days usage and paying the bill as it becomes due, the tenant has the right to deduct this money from their rental payment. Usually if a tenant is doing this, we'd advise that it be done in writing so that there's a paper trail or if your landlord does seek to try and retaliate against you for that, which brings me to the next point that both statutes both clearly prohibit retaliation by the landlord. So if you have a tenant or a group of tenants, if you are dealing with an entire building and they are faced with the termination of service once the moratoriums have been lifted, I know the PUC moratorium goes to June 1st, but if your landlord attempts to terminate service, and on the USTRA, the Discontinuance of Service to Lease Premises Act to maintain your service, your landlord cannot then take you to eviction court on the basis of non-payment of rent if you have made it known to your landlord that I have exercised my right to continue maintaining utility service by paying the last 30 days usage and the bills as they become due. Also, in that context, the statutes also prevent landlords from making this request voluntarily. So if you call, if I call into PICO, for example, and I'm a landlord and I've got a building that I don't live in, but someone else lives in, and I request for service to be terminated, the utility company can't just terminate service. They have to check, see if the building is occupied. If it's occupied by tenants, as we discussed, tenants have to be notified and given the ability to pay under USTRA or the discontinuance of lease services the last 30 days and the ongoing bills as they become due. It's important to note, because I know leases, as a housing attorney, I've seen leases that waive just about everything. Neither of these provisions are waivable by a landlord through contract. So these are always enforceable and any attempts by your landlord to waive them are null and void. So if you are in the context where the landlord brings the lease to court and says, this was carved out, it would take a very smart landlord to know these statutes exist, but there are some smart ones. They can't carve it out and they cannot come to court and say that you have violated your lease by exercising these protections. So I wanna switch briefly to the Water Services Act. As you may be aware, most water companies are not regulated by the Public Utility Commission. There are a few, but there's a Water Services Act which require 
basically the same type of protections. The tenant has the right to be given 30 days notice before the service is terminated, either for non-payment of rent or upon request by the utility, by the landlord customer. So you get written notice, you get an opportunity to contest these charges in good faith. Usually you have to go into court to do this because an unregulated water company is subject to the jurisdiction of the county or municipality in which they operate. And you cannot be held responsible for bills that have predated your prior lease. So if you move into a property, let's say in June, and the landlord's already behind on his water bill, some municipalities build them quarterly or in six month phases. So if your landlord's behind on the water bill and you move in and you're faced with a termination, let's say in December, if the bill is on a six month cycle, the bill from January to June has to be split from the bill from June to December, and you can pay the June to December charges and dispute that with you. you can also dispute them if the bill seems incorrect or you can make those payments and deduct in the same way you would under the context of ustra or the discontinuous of services to lease premises act so i've kind of been talking about this throughout but when the landlord contacts when a landlord knowingly contacts a utility company where there is a tenant, where there's a tenant currently living or tenants currently living, this is called a constructive eviction because they're not allowed to terminate service without giving notice to the tenants who live in the building that they have these rights that they might be able to obtain. Usually the utility requires the landlord to sign an affidavit or it might be done orally over the phone that says, these, this building is vacant, there are no units occupied. If the utility is unaware of the fact that the building is occupied, i.e. if it's not licensed or coded as a commercial account, but it's just a residential single family account, the utility company is required once they're notified by the tenant or the tenant's advocates in this context, those, who may, those on the call who might take this case in through intake, Utility companies required to note to restore service under the same 30-day payment principle, last 30 days, and then you pay on a forward-going basis. If your landlord tampers with the utility lines, either by putting a lock on your gas meter or turning off the main breaker in the basement, those sort of things are constructive or illegal evictions. You should be able to file an emergency injunction in your local county just be aware that all of the county courthouses may not be open and there might be one there might be one specific location where you go and you pay that where you go and you file that emergency injunction you can also file it with an IFP and then the court will hear either virtually or in person hopefully not in person the case and make a decision and you may be able to get that service restored through those means. So I think the high points at this point is to look at the toolbox, see exactly what you need to do. There's assistance that's available in various forms. And also remember that there are these two parallel statutes that protect tenants in the context
of facing the threat of termination of service when the accounts are in their landlord's name and the landlord's responsible for paying these bills. I think we're gonna to shift to questions at this point. Okay, give me just a second to get them here. And uh, while you're doing that, Kelly, I'd, I would just like to add one, uh, one point on the distinction between uh, Ustra, which applies to municipal authorities and uh, discontinuance of service, um, which applies to regulated, um, where Kadeem had talked about um, Ustra applies irrespective of the terms of the lease, whereas discontinuance of service to lease premises, um, they, they look to the lease. It must be, according to the statute, it must be an included service in the lease. However, um, we are aware of several um, successful arguments that we've had legal service attorneys make that um, all utility services should be considered as an included service, right? The, 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 the language inclu uh, included service does not necessarily have to mean um, that it's uh, paid for by the landlord, just that it is included as a service to the premises in the lease. Um, uh, and that's it. Um, so that's the argument we try to usually make there to, to um, get the discontinuance to apply uh, where Euster would otherwise apply. Okay, um, this is Kelly again. Attorneys on the webinar, I'm going to launch the second poll question. If you could please respond to that, it'll be up for a minute. Um, you must have answered both questions to show that you were actively participating on the webinar today. And our first question is, our, client, our clients come to us when their utility is about to be terminated or has been terminated. Should we ask for CARES instead of requesting a dispute or informal complaint or in addition to? May clients get both CARES help and hardship grants in addition to dispute slash informal complaint or instead of? Um, that's a good question, and, and as uh, part of the strategy we were talking about. So you really want to evaluate the merits of the dispute and um, the and to see if you feel that the customer can prevail on a complaint. Um, it's oftentimes difficult to, uh, to, to, I won't say it's difficult to win a formal complaint, but Clients often believe things have happened that may not bear out when you review the 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 uh, billing history and the the what happened in, on that account. So if there's a very you know if there's a complaint and a dispute that you believe you can prevail on, you should move forward with the complaint. The um, the the option to go to CARES and to use hardship funds, I try to use those. Um, you know, if they're available right away and I don't think there's a complaint, I'll try to use those. If you move forward with a complaint, um, there's a possibility that you won't be able to access financial assistance because the, the, the account won't actually be in shutoff status while the complaint is pending. So you want to make sure that when you move forward with a complaint, you have a pretty good, um, you've reviewed the account and feel confident that the customer can prevail. Thank you, Josie. Uh, next question. 
Does the Water Services Act apply for termination of water due to unpaid water or only unpaid sewer? What if utility demands proof from tenant of occupancy in the form of a written lease or statement of LL and LL does not cooperate and there is no written lease? So the, the, the Water Services Act um, uh, only applies in situations where the, um, the water company is shutting off service at the direction of the sewer company. When that happens, the, the water company is required to, by definition or by, by the terms of the statute, the Water Services Act, the water company is still required to follow um, Ustra. So that gets a little complicated, um, but by Ustra's terms, um, a written lease is not necessary. Uh, that gets a little complicated where you have an unregulated sewer company seeking to terminate um, um, water service where the water service is provided by a regulated entity. Um, and, and so it, be, it gets a little murky as to whether Ustra, the terms of Ustra apply there or discontinuance of, lease, uh, discontinuance of service to lease premises act, um, where they would look at the lease. Uh, however, um, for the most part, I think they would, the, the statute says Ustra, we argue for Ustra um, and no written lease should be required. Thank you, John. Um, somebody asked, will we get a recording and PowerPoint of this presentation? Um, if you look in your chat box, you should see that Kadeem actually put the PowerPoint in the chat box. All you have to do is click on it to download it to your computer. And as far as the recording, this webinar is being recorded. And for plan network staff members, you will be able to access it on the plan brief and information bank on the plan website. It will also be available to anyone on the plan YouTube channel after this. Uh, give us a day or two to get it um, downloaded and up and everything. Um, Kadeem, are you able to put it in the PowerPoint, in the, in the chat box again? Some people are saying they can't see it. Yes, I can also I email it out to everyone. Into the chat box. Thank you. Um, another question, is there a universal medical certification form? No, we are um, in some cause with the commission and interested stakeholders about developing something of that nature. The utilities each have their own forms and the customer can have their medical provider can create a form or write on letterhead if um, the form is not defined um, like exactly in the regs. It doesn't have to be any particular form. So if you're if you need it quickly, going to the utilities is the is the fastest way to, to get the form. And this is John. If if you are having trouble getting the form um, or you need a form fast, you can reach out to Pulp. We do have a sample form that we can provide to the to you to give to your client that can take it to the medical provider because We've had some situation, there's some utilities that actually require the doctor's office to reach out directly to the utility um, and some to, to obtain the form and some utilities 
Uh, some doctor's offices will not do that because of the time that it takes to, to make the call and sit on hold. So um, if you need a copy of a sample form, um, Hope can make one available for you. And I'll just reiterate what Josie said earlier about using medical certificates sparingly at this point in time due to the various moratoriums and the potential availability of funding through LIHEAP. I would consider you to explore whether or not you can get assistance monetarily for your client before you use that med cert on that balance because a med cert can be very useful when there are no other options. So if there's money available, you should see if you can get a reduced payment arrangement for your client on the basis of their circumstances before using up those med certs at this point. Okay, I don't see any more questions coming in right now. So I would like to thank, <clears throat> excuse me, our presenters today, John, Josie, and Kadeem. Thank you so much for taking the time to share this information with us. We appreciate it. And um, everyone have a great day. Be safe and be well. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.